Okay, now for our message be brought to us by Mr. Steve Andrews. It is entitled, Sharpen Our Swords and Repair Our Shields. Day five. Wow, it is going fast. How many are getting used to being in this beautiful place and enjoying the beautiful weather and just getting, just really getting settled down? I have to tell you, <laughs> that's not God's plan. <laughs> that's what is called temporary dwellings, tabernacles. It's interesting in the that God also gave us a secondary part of this in, in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. And that's what, what I want to cover here in the beginning. Leviticus 23 and verse 39. Also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. On the first day you shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take you the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord seven days in the year, and it shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths, temporary ruggedized dwellings. Well, unless you live in Branson, we're all dwelling in temporary dwellings, even if you're here at Best Western. We're all living in temporary dwellings, and we're all enjoying the feast as God has commanded. So we're living in booth seven days. All that are in Israel born shall dwell in those temporary dwellings. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when they brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And if you think about it, as the Israelites took all these palm branches, all these fresh things off the trees and all this, and they made their booths, as the days went by, they began to age, didn't they? They began to, to, to look a little weathered and a little aged. And, and that's what temporary dwellings or temporary uh, um, tabernacles is all about. We're in temporary dwellings ourselves. And it's interesting that Peter and Paul, both of them, understood that. And Peter had a little short one in here on temporary dwellings, but Paul had a little longer one. So let's turn to Second Peter and let's look at what he has to say about the temporary dwelling. Second Peter, the first chapter, and just a couple of verses here, 13 and 14. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And um, they've got underlined earthly body. Uh, Ian always uh, wants us all to look up words. It's kind of nice to stop and think and look them up and see what they, what they really mean. Temporary dwellings 
also earthly bodies, knowing that shortly, shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. We all dwell in temporary dwellings. We are all tabernacling right now. And let's turn now to, to Paul's in 2 Corinthians. As he, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, let's pick this one up in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This house, <laughs> for all of us that are, that are kind of on that age and have that or graying hair and all of that, know all about that because as, as we tabernacle and we get older, we understand that. And that's, this is a temporary dwelling. It's not going to last forever. We have a permanent residence in heaven waiting for us. If we, we will receive. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. And learning that about the Feast of Tabernacles, the temporary dwelling, and how that God is going to provide something permanent that's not going to decay, not going to be put in the ground and buried and decay into the ground and become just part of the dust. Now he that has wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. We have a down payment of that Spirit. When you're baptized, I laid hands on you, you receive God's Holy Spirit, but it's just a down payment. We will receive that full spirit into the kingdom and the full receive of that heavenly, wonderful, eternal body. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Well, I don't want to go much further into that one, but you can read on if you'd like. So there's purposes uh, for uh, us in, this in, in keeping these feast days. In Romans, the 8th chapter, one of my one, another one of my favorites, along with 1 Corinthians 15. This one here I just, just love, but I'm just going to read a, two or three verses here. Understanding the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, the purpose of coming, and especially of coming and listening for the eight days, the, the messages that are given, to be filled with God's Word, to be filled in our minds and our hearts with His Word is so, so very important. He says in, in the beginning of verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, 
but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So that's what we're doing here. We're trying to, to help us to understand deeper and more fully the things of the Spirit so that we will be prepared in our life and we'll be able to, to um, live spiritually. For to be carnally minded, that just means flesh, that's just normal mind, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. It's, it's against, it's hostile to God. It's against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so we see uh, people today uh, wanting to, to get rid of religion, to get rid of God, to get rid of anything, because they do not want to be subject to the laws of the truth of the Word of God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. This, this particular chapter that Paul writes explains an awful lot about the mind and how God works with us, with our spirit, the spirit that, that would dwell in us. And it's, it's very important that we understand this because God is working through that spirit to help us to understand spiritual things. So in, in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, beginning verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or that are mature, yet not wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that comes to nothing. That's the reason why I don't bring you philosophies and different things like that. I bring you the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world to our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? And there's a lot of research going on on the, the Spirit of uh, uh, brain and how we think, and we are so much different than the animals because we can think logically, we can design, we can put things together. There is, we are so much different than anything else because God has created us and he's put the spirit of man in us. But to understand, really to fully understand what is in this Bible, we need something else. We need a little something special and that's what God gives us. Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. That is so very, very precious. So very precious. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things we also, uh, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
And how did we get that? God's Spirit dwells in us, and which is given at baptism, and laying on of hands and asking for that Spirit to be given. God opens our heart and our minds, especially the heart, because we have to have it written in our heart. So he opens that, and he opens us up, and then we begin to understand. We begin to comprehend the Word of God. Through many, I've spent many, many years sitting and listening to sermons over and over. Some of the same things that I'm going to read to you today, I I spent in, in different feast sites over the years. 50 years listening to God's Word. And it's still amazing me, amazing to me how God has created such a perfect scenario, especially in the Feast of Tabernacles and helping us to under, understand that we are temporary, temporal beings. We, we, the Bible does not teach an immortal soul. And without the earnest of the Spirit, which quickens, we will perish. And that's what it says in the Bible. And so it's very important for us to really come to a deeper and more fuller comprehension of His Word. Deep spiritual understanding. And we do that through, through Bible study. And we're going to get to that here in a minute. Which thing we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. Yet who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Jesus Christ. Isn't that, isn't that profound? The, the, the Bible is written so that we can comprehend and understand the mind of Jesus Christ. I mean, you go back and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's the mind of Jesus Christ. And as he was walking and as he uh, began to instruct the disciples, and he, uh, all of the, the words that he said is so profound. We have a battle to fight. We have a lot of, a lot of enemies out there. And there's a battle to fight that we, uh, we know of. But let's turn to 1 John, the second chapter. Beginning of verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus prayed for all of us because we weren't going to be taken out of this world, but that we would be protected from the world, essentially. That we would have his words in our heart and our mind, and that we would come to a point in which we would understand what was going on in the world. Why the things that are happening in the world why the world view is now beginning to be so much against the Christian world view. 
because they love not the Word of God. They reject the Word of God. In fact, atheism and all of the various isms are beginning to, to arise and beginning to cloud, even to the point of clouding Christianity through what has been called gay theology. And so that's scary, isn't it? That they would be able to pervert this word to that point. And it's hateful for us who read this word and we see those things and we know what's in it and then they pervert it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father. It is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. So we want to be on that side, don't we? So it, recognizing what is going on in the world, understanding how the world is perverting even what we believe and has been for a very long time. Because if you stay in the Bible and you understand what the scriptures say, you'll be able to um, counteract that, at least in your own thinking, in your own mind. So the world passes away, the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Ephesians 6 and just one verse I am going to come back to this in a minute. Verse 12. Here's, here's what we wrestle against. Wrestle against. Wrestle. <laughs> you know where I'm from. <laughs> I'm an Okie for sure. We wrestle. We don't wrestle. For we wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principality. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's going on all the time when we can't see it, but we, we see the results of it. We see the results in the world that we live in. And it's a global thing. It's a global thing. The, the nations are, are accepting this, and so it's becoming harder and harder and harder for Christians to speak out the word of God. And it will continue to be that way and get worse and worse. We know in, in, in other countries such as Great Britain, Canada, things that we say could, lie, could put them in jail and has put some in jail because they dare to read the words of God which are truth. And so we see that we are battling not just the world, but we are also battling these invisible forces. We're principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Boy, this seems, these things sound like impossible to overcome. Ah, oh, but that's not the case because we have great power. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Let's talk one more thing, and that is about... That great deceiver, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your and my adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. 
My wife likes to remind me what lions do. <laughs> Have you ever, in the wild, what, what is the prey that lions like to prey on? They like to prey on the weak. They like to prey on the, the young. They like to prey on the old. And so Satan, that deceiver, that evil being, he likes to prey on those who are not filled with God's Spirit, filled with the Word of God. And so they will be preyed on by him. Hopefully, because we do have the Word ingrained in our hearts and stuff, we will, before it takes us over, we'll be able to see it. We'll be able to counteract Satan coming after us. And we'll be able to counter that. And we'll have the power over that. He says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So this, this goes on. And so we have some enemies that we're, that we're going to be up against. with The, uh, the world. These hidden hidden things, and then then Satan. So, how do we we have how do we come up and have some tools to fight this? To be able to to be strong in these areas, to be able to to withstand all of this. Well, that's where we go back to Ephesians the sixth chapter. I love this because Paul, you know, he saw probably saw the Romans walking around with all this armor on them. And he began to think, wow, man, if we had that kind of armor, maybe we would be able to withstand it. But we can't just put on physical armor. We have to put on some spiritual armor. We have to put on something that's, that has some spiritual power, spiritual uh, ability. And so he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, verse, verse 10 of, of um, Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, with, uh, to stand against the wiles of the devil. So here's the, here's the enemy that we really have to be suited up for. You know, if you have, watch uh, Captain America. He's always talking about, let's go get suited up. <laughs> He's always got to put on a suit to go fight. So we, we have to have something also that we suit up with. We have to be all armored up. We have to be ready to go. We have to put on something that uh, gives us the power to overcome the various things that are in this world. So here we have, uh, and then he goes on in verse 12, and he talks about that. We just read that. He says, Wherefore, take you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. To stand. Now, it talks about the last day, but sometimes don't we face evil days in our life? I know as the days get closer to the end, more and more we will find that there is a greater need to have that armor strong. But every day we need the, the armor of God. We need to be armored up because Satan's always there. The world is always there. We don't see certain things happening in the world, so those are always there. So... It, it behooves us to keep our armor suited up. See, so stand therefore having your loins girt with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, 
your feet shod with the preparation of the good news of peace. The kingdom of God can give you so much encouragement. Every time you think about the kingdom coming to this earth and taking over and God ruling from Jerusalem, put that in your mind, put that in your heart, because then there will be true peace. And that is the preparation. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith will wish you sh- with you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I could go through every one of those, but my, my focus today and, and what I want to bring today is that we need, a, we need two things. We need a, a defense and we need an offense. The defense is the shield. The offense is the sword. We need a sharpened sword, and we need, (laughs) if you've been living in this world very long, your shield has probably gotten a lot of dings in it and had a lot of fiery things happen to you, and you've been living a whole year, coming up to the Feast of Tabernacles, needing to repair your shield and strengthen it, make it strong. And so we're, we're going to talk about those two things today, especially we're going to look at the sword. We understand the Word of God is that. Beautiful, the Spirit. Let's turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews 4, beginning 1, and verse, verse 1. He said, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into this, re- uh, let's see. Oh, oh no, I want to just read one verse, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's a pretty powerful statement of the sword of the word. The word of God is even more powerful than that sword. And so we have the two-edged sword and we get even more power because of the word of God. It gives us that extra power. It's like it's on fire because of the word of God. How can you use the word of God in power over Satan? Well, there's a powerful example in the Bible already. Jesus Christ used the Word of God <clears throat> and defeated Satan. And it is one of the most powerful scriptures that are, and I can read it over and over again because I get, I realize that my Savior, if I go to Him and I'm troubled by any kind of spirit, All I have to do is ask God, Jesus Christ, to rebuke it. Because he has already won over the spirits. He has already won over Satan. And they have to leave. He he has power over them. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, and beginning in verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. 
And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Jesus says, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, if you have it in your margin or at the bottom of it, you know where that came from. He quoted that right out of Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter and verse 3. He was filled with God's Spirit. He fasted for 40 days. He was unhungered, but he was filled with the Spirit. Satan brought deception. Jesus brought truth. And he used the power of the Word to defeat him. And that's what I'm saying. Understand this book, and you'll be able, especially to defeat Satan, but you'll also be able to look through the things that are in the world, the lust and all of that, because it'll tell you all about them. Then the devil takes him up into the city and sets him on a pinnacle in the temple, and he says to him, If you be the Son of God, he knew that, cast yourself down. He was tempting Jesus. He was tempting him. He knew who he was. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. He was quoting right out of Scripture, Psalm 91. Ah, Jesus could quote Scripture. He's an angel of deception. He comes across as an angel of truth, but he is an angel of deception. It is written, and he's a fallen angel, and he's called Abaddon and, and, and Satan, so he's, he's a, a, a dark angel. He's, he's, he is a very bad, very bad being. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not test, tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.16, close right out of the scripture. Again, the devil took him up onto an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said to him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then says Jesus to him, Give you, get you here, um, get from here, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. To me, this is one, this is, this is, this is a, a, like a universal battle. And in it, all the angels, and God the Father, are in the, the arena watching. They've got to be. This, this was the temptation. This was the power that Jesus had. And this was the temptation, and they were all watching. And Jesus uses the word of God to defeat him. And <laughs> you can imagine if he had a tail, he was walking down the road with his tail between his legs. Now, that's how you... That's how you uh, you know, that's the, that's the way you look at it. He's walking down the road with a tail between his legs. So, getting to know the Word. And I know Ian, <laughs> he, he, t- 
tells us this all the time, especially in Bible studies and stuff, helping us to, to really get, get familiar with it, get to, to, to where you really feel comfortable with the Word. Um, I, I've been working with this. I love these uh, devotional Bibles, 365 days in a year to go through the Bible. And some of you might be like me. You'll forget to use it once or, once or twice, or you know, you'll know, you miss it two or three days. Well, just pick it up on the day that you, that day. Let's say that it's today. You just pick it up and you go to that, you know, that October number and you, you read it there. That gives you the whole Bible in a year. And I think this one is, uh, I don't think this was King James. I think this is like maybe the New International Version. Sometimes just having a different version sometimes is really nice. No, this is the New King James Version in this one. Uh, there are several of them out there, but I do like this one. It's called God's Little Devotional Bible. And by the way, this is kind of an interesting thing. This is made by Honor Books out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> and I didn't realize that. I, I bought one for my wife, and I liked it so much, and I went and got I kept looking and looking for one because you don't find them on the regular shelves. And so I finally found one, but it's made by Honor Books out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. God's Little Devotional Bible. And they, every, every day has a devotional, and some of them are quite good and quite profound. So I, I encourage you to do, to have something that keeps the Bible run, going. Uh, for the young people, it was an encouragement to do Proverbs every day. There's 30. 31 Proverbs, 31. You can 31 days, you can go through all of the Proverbs and start back again. I even marked the Psalms one time. There's a lot more Psalms than that. So it does take a little bit of time to go through them. But if you have the daily one, you will go through all of those. I have a Prudence Concordance, uh, and, but I also have, oh, I, my, my wife didn't want me to show you this. Because it's so bad. I've, I've just about ruined my cover, so I'll just pull it out. But I have an iPad. What can you do with an iPad? Well, you can go on the online. You can do all kinds of stuff. But you can also download Bible helps, Bible in the Bible. And you can go in there and you can search and you can find out what words are. And you can do all kinds of stuff on with uh, with with Bible things that you download. I prefer eSword. There are many others out there, but I love eSword. Rick Myers uh, has been working on it for years. He's getting it. He gets it better and better. Uh, I finally sent him a, a little bit of money <laughs> not too long ago because I got the feeling, I, I use it so much, and I got the feeling like, man, I should help that guy out because he does such a tremendous job. And he has so many translations in there and so many helps and so much. It's not the only one. I encourage all of you to learn to use this sword, to use it and continue to use it and understand it because it can be a powerful weapon in the days that we live in, in the time that we are, uh, times that we are in, and what we are having to fight and what we are having to battle. Back to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, because I don't want to, I, I want to emphasize this a little bit, 
because it's important. This the shield is very important. Verse 16. Above all things, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All right. Now we just talked about the the sword that we have. Now we've got a shield that we can use as defense. Faith is our defense against all things that come up against us. Hebrews 11, everybody is so familiar with these, so I'm not going to go through all all of this. I just want to emphasize a couple here, especially Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For those of you that uh, might have some words underneath it, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now that makes it even more powerful, doesn't it? Assurance and conviction. With faith, you are convicted there is a God, that He is. He loves you, and that he is going to have you in his kingdom. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, and I emphasize this a lot, and I know the people in Tulsa probably um, hear this a lot, but the importance of really proving that God exists is so important in your own spiritual life. If you if you have not sat down and you have not gone through everything and proved that God exists, you will come to a point in the Bible in which you will say, well, that's just kind of foolishness. But if you have proved that there is a God and that he has made all things and that he has created us and put us all these machines in there that make us work, and put, and all that DNA and all of that, and that uh, that that coding that's in there. If you can prove that and you can see that, then the Bible becomes even more dynamic, and your faith is increased, strengthened. Let's go back now to Hebrews, the third chapter. We're not to go very far here. Back to Hebrews, the third chapter, and beginning of verse seven. God was not very well; was not very pleased with with Israel, and especially in the wilderness. And that first generation died in the wilderness because of one thing. Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit says, verse seven: Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do err, always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. God had tremendous miracles, constant miracles, and these people grieved the Father, grieved him, grieved in the wilderness. So I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The point is, the unbelief is 
the lack of faith, the lack of believing that God is calling you, is bringing you into his kingdom, is, is working with you, lack of faith in what he is doing, or seeing men make mistakes in the church or doing something and just getting so turned off, even getting turned off to God's word, uh, and it's happened. Look past the men and into the word. Believe God. Believe Jesus Christ and read the word. Don't believe anything that a man says unless he brings you the word of God. He says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Here we are. We're talking about the world and the things that are that are given. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. However, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom, uh, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. And to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And of course, chapter 4 talks about the true rest, the kingdom of God. And we want to be a part of that true rest, don't we? We want, to have, we want to believe that God is going to bring his kingdom to this earth and bring the true rest to all of humanity. One of the most, one of, to me, one of the most encouraging chapters, and there's all kinds of encouraging chapters <laughs> in God's word, but Romans, the eighth chapter, I just read one verse out of it earlier, but this is one of the most per- profound things that Paul wrote along with all of the other things that he wrote. But I, I've always thought that this was written for new people who are coming into baptism. And so I've, I've read a lot to people that are coming into baptism. I've also believed this is for people who need to be encouraged, who need to be strengthened in their faith, who need to understand that God is with them. And then I also believe it's for all the rest of us who just want to feel God's presence in the Word and have the faith that He shows that we should have in what God is doing and where He's directing us. So beginning in verse 9, I'm going to read this whole chapter and, and that'll be the end of my message. But I want you to think about what is being what Paul is, re, is has written, and the words that are that are coming out of it, and the power that he uses, and the direction that he's 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 moving our minds and our hearts, and especially the spirit that he's that he's that he's wanting to touch, because that's what it's all about. He wants to touch that spirit that dwells within us. But you are not in the flesh, verse nine but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of him. 
How do you get the Spirit of Christ? You repent, you are baptized, and you receive. Uh, And you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're baptized. You come up out of that that watery grave. You have hands laid on you. And the Spirit of God is given. It says, you shall receive the Spirit of God. It's not a maybe. I've had, I have had people come to me and wonder if the Spirit was given to them. You need to understand that when you come up out of that watery grave and you've had hands laid on you and they've asked that the Spirit be given to you, that that Spirit will be start to work in you and guide you and, direct and, and lead you. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the, do- uh, from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Now all of these are essentially our, our, our faith, is, this is a faith message. Strengthening your conviction that God is in your life and that Jesus Christ is directing you and guiding you. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many of you as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You see, we're, we're elevated when we receive God's Holy Spirit. And for the young people who have not been baptized, I want you to read and think and meditate on what I'm saying today, that God holds this out. He wants you to be in his kingdom. He wants you to be a part of that kingdom. If you haven't been baptized and you, you feel like it's your time, talk to one of the ministers, myself or, or, or Ian or anyone, and talk to them about, about baptism and, and if it's right for you or not at this time in your age. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption or sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So this, is, this is encourages us. We, we are the children of God. Satan cannot touch us. I mean, we can, we can let him interfere in our life. We can let him come in and interfere in our life. But if we understand the truth, he cannot touch us because we have the power of the Spirit that dwells in us and the name of Jesus Christ to overcome it. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now these are some of the most these are these words are some of the most powerful words that are written for us 
to understand. And there's, of course, the Bible is full of them. But I, I, I really look at this and I say, wow, this is what's going to happen in the future. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed into us, revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, that word creature actually means creation, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I believe that Paul was inspired to, re, to, to write this to help us to really have that strong faith, to understand that one of these days, maybe soon, one of these days in his kingdom, <laughs> the manifestation of the sons of God will be glorious. There will be rejoicing. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, being in that kingdom, being a part of that kingdom. For the creature or the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the cre creation of the creature or the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't know how to take this, but you look out in the stars and you look at all of that's there and all of the things that are... And is that what God wants to give us? Is this our inheritance? All this beautiful things out there? As, as Ian says, he wants to be a spirit being so he can walk in the sun, walk on, you know, walk on any of these planets without... You don't have to worry about breathing because spirit beings can go anywhere. And it's the speed of thought. It's not the speed of light, it's the speed of thought. I want to go to, you know, I want to go to the moon. Oh, oh, oh I'm on the moon. <laughs> it's just that fast. It's that quick and that, that fast. And so we, we understand. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who is subjected the same in hope. Um, let me go ahead and go down to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain to, together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown inside ourselves, waiting for the, for the adoption, that is the redemption of our bodies, giving us that spirit body forever. This temporary dwelling will be taken over with a permanent dwelling. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees... Why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That's why we keep the feast every year. That's why we keep the holy days. They are the plan of God. They help us to understand that. With patience we look forward to that. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray. For, we, for, as, for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession with us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together. I want you to understand this part. Because sometimes in our chaotic life, it just seems like there's just you know, so many things that just happen. But he says, I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. 
For whom he did know, he also did predestinate. To whom? Uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, him, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. You see the process? And no matter what the struggle in our life, God is working a plan out for each and every one that he calls. And one of these days, we will receive that crown of life and be glorified. What shall, the, what, shall, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared is not his son, but delivered him up for all of us. How, um, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So when you go to God, you're going to the very throne. Jesus opened that veil. You're able to talk to God directly and to Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who makes intercession for us. Who shall spare who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Yeah. <laughs> Some of these things may come upon us in the years to come. I don't know. But just understand that we're never separated from Christ and for the love. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, because we have our sword and we have our shield. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brethren, let's go back one more time. <clears throat> to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And let's read the last part here. Now we have all of our armor on, and it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for those that minister to you, that, that minister the gospel.